Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I'm your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today is one Eugene Foley of Foley Entertainment, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Gene is licensed with the New Jersey Attorney General of Entertainment slash Music Agency. He has a Juris Doctorate degree in law. He has an emphasis on entertainment law, intellectual property, contracts, negotiation, and mediation. Gene is also the author of the book, Artist Development, A Distinctive Guide to the Music Industry's Lost Art. He received his postgrad training at Harvard Law School, Cornell University, as well as Harvard University. Gene's resume and successes in the music industry will simply astonish you. His clients have earned 38 gold and platinum records and three Grammy Awards. Gene has earned numerous Best in the Biz Awards from NARIP, as well as Best Consultant and Strategist. He's a voting member of the Grammy Awards for over 25 years. Foley and his clients have contributed to projects involving the following record companies, A&M, Arista, Atlantic, Capital, Chrysalis, CBS, Columbia, Electra, Epic, EMI, Geffen, Hollywood, Interscope, Island, Def Jam, Lava, MCA, Mercury, Polydor, Polygram, RCA, Universal, Sony, Warner Brothers, among many others. Those projects have featured artists including Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Dave Matthews, U2, Santana, Joe Cocker, Sting, Bon Jovi, Journey, Hart, Barbara Streisand, Stevie Nicks, Bruno Mars, Madonna, Ariana Grande, Slash, Fergie, Rob Thomas, En Vogue, Britney Spears, Pearl Jam, Sheryl Crow, Mighty Mighty Boston's Def Leppard, Quiet Riot, Joan Jett, The Kinks, Vertical Horizon, and... Joan Osborne, representing sales of over 120 million records. Gene is a frequent television guest and behind-the-scenes contributor as a music industry expert on NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, Fox News, PBS, MTV, VH1, Comcast, and Time Warner. He has interviewed or contributed to music industry-related articles in the New York Times, Billboard, Forbes, Variety, USA Today, Performing Songwriter, CMJ, Village Voice, Scope, Macworld, American Songwriter, Wall Street Journal, Musico Pro, Inside Connection, Huffington Post, Millimeter, and over two dozen daily newspapers across the country. Gene has been regularly interviewed on commercial radio stations in 30 states discussing all aspects of the music industry, including breaking news, merging technology, celebrities, and pop culture. Songs written by Foley's clients have been featured on CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, MTV, VH1, the E! Channel, A&E, Discovery, HBO, TLC, History, History Channel, Food Network, ESPN, Cartoon Network, Oxygen, Lifetime, Bravo, Animal Planet, Nickelodeon, and in commercials for Honda, Boeing, Acura, Visa, Dove, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Walmart, Chevrolet, Lipton, AT&T, Nokia, Kodak, Bud Light, Pepsi, American Airlines, and Best Buy. It's safe to say Gene has experienced just about everything you can in the ever-evolving music industry. Gene has decided to shift our attention to Van Halen 1 today, recorded in 1978. 
Van Halen 1 was produced by Ted Templeman, and it was recorded at Sunset Studio Recorders in Hollywood for Warner Brothers. Released on February 10th, 1978, the album peaked at number 19 on the Billboard 200 charts. The album became widely recognized as the band's popularity grew, selling more than 10 million records in the U.S., and by August 7th, 1996, it was certified diamond. Without further ado, let's get to know Gene Foley and Van Halen's first record, cut once upon a time in 1978. Gene, it's a wonderful honor to have you on the program today and to have you share your love of music with us. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's a thrill to be here. I think the concept of your podcast is absolutely fantastic. So I was really happy to be asked to be a guest. Uh, you've done your homework, so thank you for the nice buildup. I think I need you to be my publicist. Good job there. <laughs> and uh, I, I appreciate it. I'm just excited to talk about an album that has really been a tremendous and profound uh, influence on, on me and, and many, many other people. Uh, what Van Halen, now known as Van Halen 1, uh, has done for so many of us. So I'm glad to chat about that today. Thank you very much, Gene. Uh, before we, you know, just get cracking here and break the ice, you know, we like to ask our guests if they have favorite sport or activity or just so that we get to know our our guests a little bit sure, better. Sure. A little known okay. fact outside of music, I've uh, I've been and still to this day a high school basketball coach for over 20 years. So I love coaching basketball and I love the teaching aspect of it and the competitive nature. So a lot of days when I'm done uh, in the office here, it's uh, right off to the gym to, to coach basketball. So that's uh, another big passion in my life, music and basketball. Very nice. All right. Well, let's jump right in here and, and get cracking. So uh, Gene, what compelled you to choose Van Halen's self-titled debut record? You know, I think when it first came out, you know, in 1978, uh, one of my older cousins had, had the 12-inch uh, vinyl of it, and he was playing, you know, the songs. And I already, at that point, was already, you know, going for guitar lessons and playing guitar. And when I heard the stuff that Eddie Van Halen was playing, especially, of course, the famous uh, Eruption, the guitar solo song, I didn't even understand how it was being done. It just sounded like it was from another planet. It was so amazing. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, I got to buy this. So I remember the next day going to the record store and buying that album uh, and just, just sitting there and just listening to it over and over and over and just, just being blown away by what I was hearing. I didn't even know you can make those noises with, with a guitar. And it was just a big influence on me wanting to, to continue that instrument and, and, and write songs and join a band. And it really had a big, big mark on my life. Nice. I, I had never heard anybody, you know, what I, I learned later on was sort of a finger tapping style and just create those kinds of uh, tonal elements on any kind of electric instrument. Uh, he's a fascinating guitar player. Absolutely. And I think a lot yeah. of people who really follow Eddie Van Halen's career realize, besides obviously the great musical chops and composing skills, which are amazing, but he's also a great innovator with sound and tone and equipment and modifying things to make them even better. And just a true brilliant guy uh, in the studio, in the lab and on the stage as well. Yeah. So we, we are talking with uh, Gene Foley here, and we are discussing Van Halen's debut record from 1978, sometimes commonly known as Van Halen 1. Uh, Gene, who is the vocalist and lead singer of Van Halen? On this album, it was David Lee Roth, and David was uh, with the band for the early part of their career and had a lot, a lot of big successful albums and uh, many of their great singles that are still, you know, fan favorites. David Lee Roth was the singer in those days. 
Mm-hmm. Can you tell our listeners who some of the additional musicians and players are on the record? Are there any? Sure. Of yeah. course, on guitar, you know, the, the, the amazing Eddie Van Halen. And then mm-hmm. his brother on drums, Alex Van Halen. And then on bass guitar and backing vocals was Michael Anthony, uh, played in those early al- uh, albums and phenomenal backing vocalist and, and, and just monster bass player. And as well as Alex Van Halen, I know his brother gets a lot of the credit as he should, but Alex is, is, is pretty, pretty brilliant musician in his own right. Absolutely. Can you help our listeners picture where you were when you first heard this record? Yes, I was in a basement in Staten Island, New York, at my cousin's house, and he goes, "You got to hear this record," and because uh, he was also in a band and a guitar player, and he was a couple years older than me, and uh, we just played it from start to finish, and uh, by by the end of Eruption, which is the second track on the album, we were just looking at each other like we just saw you know a UFO land or something. We were like, "Wow, how are they doing that? How are you playing that? Where's those sounds come from?" And then you know you're sitting there and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to play along and you know it's you just realize wow my guitar might as well be a coffee table i'm never (laughs) never going to be able to do what this guy's doing right Uh, right. but it was just amazing and inspiring to do that and then years later when when i was in in college i was giving guitar lessons you know to make some spending money and things and i had about 40 40 45 students over the course of uh, you know a couple years and it was always that was always what they wanted to learn. I think every single kid I've ever given a guitar lesson to wanted to learn, you know, something by Van Halen. That was that and the Beatles were the two that I think every single student asked for in, in those days. It's the late seventies, early eighties, mid eighties. That was it. You, you, everyone wanted to be able to play a Van Halen song. Nice. Do you have any favorite tracks on this particular record, and uh, why might they be your favorite tracks? Sure, sure. I would start with Eruption first. The, uh, it's you know, it's only about a minute and forty-two of just pure brilliance in in composition and uh, playing. And in my generation, that was the if you could play that song, you were a good guitar player in the eyes of your peers. And I used to sit in my parents' basement with the vinyl record and just you know lifting up the needle, playing along, taking notes, playing along, taking notes, basically doing my own transcription because there was no sheet music that I was able to find in those days. It might have been out there, but I certainly didn't find it. And uh, basically transcribed it, figured it out, and after a while, you know, was able to play it. And and, and that was a really big milestone because it was, I remember thinking back years before where that made me want to play rock guitar and go from playing acoustic guitar, classical music to saying, well, I'm ditching this. I'm getting, you know, an electric guitar and an amp and that's it for, you know, playing the Blue Danube Waltz. I, I want to play Van Halen, you know. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, that was probably the, the biggest influence, that song. And then probably my overall greatest and favorite Van Halen song of all time also is on Van Halen one track four ain't talking about love amazing song I still hear it to this day on on satellite radio on the classic channel play it all the time in the office you know uh, through my own you know iPod and everything just a great song great composition uh, it, it, Van Halen came along you know Matt at a very very crucial time you know disco was really starting to take over the airwaves and punk music a little bit to a certain extent and rock seemed to be struggling for a little while and all of a sudden this album came out and just really gave a shot in the arm to the rock world uh rock radio started coming back uh record labels began to to realize all right maybe they should you know go back to uh, keeping an eye on rock bands and it was just a really seminal album it really was 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had heard at one point in time, you know, I believe this was right before this entire record was cut, that Gene Simmons from Kiss had a little bit of involvement very early on in uh, Van Halen's career, cutting a whole series of demos before they, they uh, excuse me, uh, initially signed to Warner Brothers and convinced uh, Mo Austin and, and a couple of his cohorts. Is that, do you know if that story is true? Yes, yes. I I have definitely read that Gene Simmons flew them into New York and funded a demo, and then he shopped it around, and uh, unfortunately just wasn't able to get any bites. So the band just, you know, parted ways and and, and wound up uh, going back to L.A. and working the playing all the the hot clubs at the time, the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Starwood, you know, were two that were very synonymous with with Van Halen in those days. And eventually they attracted the uh, attention of Marshall Burrell, who was a very successful artist manager. And then he was able to get the attention of Mo Austin and Ted Templeman at Warner Brothers. And uh, after seeing them at the Starwood Club in L.A., you know, very quickly after that, a contract was signed and they were in the studio. It was in October of 77. Uh, They got in for about three weeks and they made the record for under $40,000. And uh, what was interesting is they recorded it mostly live, uh, meaning they, they foregoed the, uh, the usual multi-track recording. They just went at it raw to get that raw energy. They really recorded it live right to tape, very few overdubs and, uh, you know, just really captured true magic that day in those weeks, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking with Gene Foley here on cover to cover with Matt Tarka and, uh, some tracks that, you know, I would, you know, like to highlight here one one that really kind of jumped out at me, and it was you know sort of uh, in some ways lyrically an antithesis of you know what this art that this particular record is is bringing to the listener, and that is a song called Atomic Punk. It seems like uh, David Lee Roth is is bringing you know a, a lot of not just crooner sensibilities into a lot of you know the way that he approaches uh, his, his vocals and and just general uh a general vocal presence but he he's sort of dabbling in science fiction on this particular song you know talking about being a victim of a of a science age and and being a ruler of these nether worlds uh you know for the life of me i i would really like to know what <laughs> where these nether worlds are that he's trying to explore it's you know i just found that of to be a very interesting dichotomy on this record for some reason what do you have any thoughts? Yeah, that was definitely a different theme than a lot of their other songs. It was very, very interesting. But, you know, David is, is, is known to be just a real creative guy and like to explore different topics and things. And when he got to writing lyrics, he just kind of went off on tangents and just just great creativity. And uh, he wasn't someone you just put in a box and, and every song was going to be about the same one or two topics. He, he would mix things up. Really, really smart guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one, you know, one other song or actually two other songs that really just jumped out at me in particular was uh Little Dreamer that is uh a song you, you don't necessarily hear on FM radio, but what what I found very interesting was that the drums were considerably turned down on this record, you know, in in, in the late 70s and early 80s, like more often than not the drums were more up front and center, you know, like you heard on some of those uh Genesis records with Phil Collins and that, in some ways, you know, just fr- from a, a rock recording point of view, just seemed like uh, a, a little bit of a departure from, you know, many of the sounds that were being 
generated by bands of the day. It seems like a lot of the Van Halen records were really focused on guitar. That you know, the leader of the band, you know, was a was a genius level guitar player. That's what they were really about. I mean, they were you know at one point a bar band playing parties in people's backyards in Southern California, and they would draw thousands of people. People would park blocks and blocks away to walk to somebody's backyard and you know have a beer and watch Van Halen. They, they were truly legendary. They were drawing two thousand people to parties, you know, with no label, no manager, no anything, and playing a mix of covers and originals, putting on tremendous, tremendous concerts. Uh, some of the early days, I read that Eddie Van Halen would even play backwards, facing away from the audience at times, uh, just so people wouldn't see what he was doing with his hands to kind of keep things private. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not seen footage of that, but that's what I've, I've, I've read. Uh, so that would even be, uh, you know, very unique. <laughs> sure, sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and Little Dreamer, and also, you know, it seems like lyrically, you know, they're reflecting on a lot of the hard work that they were putting in in the early days. And, you know, before all of the notoriety where when people were just out the door and around the corner waiting waiting to get into that bar or club that they might have been playing in in LA and it seems like this this is just a a really nice and accurate portrayal of all the notoriety that followed after this first release and how they were reconciling with their success too yes yes absolutely that's a very very uh, that's another song like you said you might not hear it on classic rock radio but hardcore Van Halen, Van Halen fans love you know, Little Dreamer, great song. Um, even Ice Cream Man at the beginning, there's some, it's, it's a lot of dynamics in that song. There's David Lee Roth actually finger picks some of that acoustic guitar, and then boom, the dynamics of the band come in. Just really, really uh, one of those songs where it's like, wow, it starts off, it almost sounds folky, and all of a sudden the guitars and the drums kick in. And, you know, and that's a cover, you know, Ice Cream Man by a guy named John Brim wrote that song. But, that's another one, just a powerhouse of, of a song. When they play that live, it just brings the house down. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough about that track, uh, he's a Chicago blues guitarist, and the song was, cu- I believe, cut on chess records back in 1953, but it took about 16, perhaps 17 years to have that song you know, be given a proper release before Van Halen just blew it out of the water you know? yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah I, I didn't even realize that was a cover song until you know years years later reading liner notes you know at first i just assumed they did that too um but just just a great selection and that was something you know van halen wasn't afraid to do they would take matter of fact one of their bigger hits on the billboard charts was a cover you really got me a song by the kinks and they brought that up to a way to number i think it was got up to number 36 you know, back in the late 70s, 70, 1978 or so. So they're not afraid to take a cover and make it their own. Yeah, I mean, that that particular cover, uh, the breakdown reminded me for some reason, you know, particularly in the percussive section or percussion section of uh, Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love. I just hear the kick drum just kind of complimenting what's happening on the hi-hat, and there's just this real sort of call and response and tension, if you will, you know, throughout, throughout that uh, that particular rendition. Uh, some other tracks that we have on here, we have uh, Jamie's Crying. That's a great song, too. And parts of that song have been sampled into uh, by urban artists and used. And uh, this is another just another classic song from, you know, where the hardcore fans, you know, mm-hmm. that's something they really want to hear at, at every live performance. For sure. So if you had to pick one of these tracks or perhaps two of these tracks on Van Halen and one, how do 
you know, one or any of these songs continue to inspire you to this day? You know, I, I think if you think back to the early days and you think, wow, all right, you're, you're, you're young, you're, you're looking for something to put your passion into. And, you know, for me, it was music. And hearing an album like this, it made you want to play guitar, it made you want to have a band, get on stage. It was just a real inspiration. And over the years, reading so many of the guitar magazines, and you have interviews, and I've just countless, countless people who went on to become, you know, really famous rock stars in their own right, cite, you know, Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen one of being that album that it did it for them as well. Now, for me, I'm on this side of the desk for 30 years, you know, helping artists. But, it, you know, I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for this album. I mean, this is the one that made me realize, wow, you know, I really love rock music. And then it made me go into deeper and looking into other groups, you know, Deep Purple and and Kiss and Rush and uh, other groups from that era that, that, that it just led me on. You know, I, I was a very young age and had a record collection that looked like someone who was 20 years old. You know, it just uh, just a big, big influence. And, and I think there's a lot of people that, you know, are out there and probably even listening to this. If you're in that, you know, 40 something to 50 something range and you like rock music, this album probably, uh, you know, was it was in your house back in the day. Maybe still is. Probably. Yeah. Do, you know, with your vast experience and knowledge, you know, within the music industry, could you perhaps share any anecdotes if they exist of, you know, the band or you know any anything that just might be of interest to our listeners sure sure one of the famous stories in 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 all the writers that van halen has a writer is kind of a thing that when they perform the venue has to follow those steps it talks about what equipment and food and drinks and and, and things like that in the hospitality suite and they used to have a thing where they wanted a bowl of m&ms this is very legendary um with all the brown ones removed and a lot of people heard that and thought, oh, wow, that's just, you know, being, uh, you know, ridiculous and, yeah. you know, just spoil rock stars. But in reality, they had a reason why they did that. They would go to a venue and they would check that immediately. And if they saw that the person read the writer that closely, that they honored that and put, took out all the brown M&Ms from this big giant bowl of M&Ms, they assumed, well, you know what, if they did that, they probably did everything else right with the, the sound and the lights and the security and anything else that's part of a writer. And it was more of a test to see if the if the promoter or the venue was on the ball, and uh, just to just became a legendary story uh, <laughs> yeah, know, over the yeah. years, where where you know that's like almost like a, a pop culture reference now. It's like oh yeah, the brown M and M's, you know, but there was a reason behind that. Definitely, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, they were true perfectionists, and they were very very hard on themselves to make sure every night they brought their A game and. Um, and they expected everyone around them to bring their A game too. Mm -hmm. And that's why they had the success they have, you know, it's hard work and attention to detail and even some other little known tidbits about them that maybe the casual fan might not know. But uh, in, the, in the Michael Jackson 1983 hit song, Beat It, Eddie Van Halen is the one that played the guitar solo in, in, in that. And uh, he also played on a Brian May album, Brian, of course, from Queen. So Eddie would contribute, sometimes even uh, uncredited. He would do it sometimes without even the credit, and it would just leak out over time. But he would uh, you know, just jam with other people and contribute to their albums if he was friends. Nice, so. nice, yeah. Interesting facts. I had no idea. That's very yeah. cool. Oh. A lot of people who also maybe only a casual Van Halen fan don't realize that Eddie and Alex were actually born and raised in Holland, and they moved to Pasadena, California in the late 60s. I believe it was 67. Uh, Eddie was 10 at the time. Alex uh, was 12. 
and your father was a professional musician. He played clarinet, so they come from you know a musical family. And when they first first started out, it was actually Eddie played drums and Alex played guitar. And then sometime like towards middle school or so, they kind of switch roles, and the rest, as we said, is history. history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, last but not least, a uh, question that I like to ask all of our guests here is the following. We live in a universe now where information and music can easily be quickly accessed in the palm of our hand or perhaps with a click of a few buttons. Even in the 21st century, however, artwork remains a cornerstone with each newly released single or album. Uh, Gene, what is conjured up in your mind when you look at this particular album cover from Van Halen? To me, it looks just really, it's just very artistic. You know, if you like the coloring, the lighting, the, the, the live element, you know, like the, the looks like smoke or something coming off, you know, the, the bass guitars, headstock and the great lighting around Alex on drums. I mean, it's just so artsy. Uh, and there's an early picture there of Eddie holding his Frankenstein oh, guitar, yeah. Yeah. uh, before they added the red color. So that's like a real vintage, uh, picture before they painted it red, uh, which now that, that that original guitar is in the Smithsonian Institute, in fact, uh, in, in D.C. Um, just, a, you know, in those days, if you were a fan of a, of a group back in, in that era, the Who, Led Zeppelin, the Stones, Van Halen, any of those groups from that era, you know, Pink Floyd, you knew the name of every band member in the band. You knew about them. You, you know, nowadays it's a little different. Mm. Like, I don't know. Unless you're really a super fan, are you really going to know the you know the the bass player's name of you know some group that had one hit? I don't know. Like in those days, you look at that album cover, like each one of those guys was a star in their own right, and then they came together, you know, as as a band. And the artwork is just incredible. Yeah, it's just, it's just timeless. It really is timeless. I mean, uh, yeah. When I you know when I look at this album cover, in in a lot of ways, just the four different quadrants reminds me of. Fab Four and the Beatles. They were all individual stars in their own right. Uh, the, the color schemes that they chose to to support each of these individual characters on stage, I mean, just showed, you know, how it, it shows on this album cover how just ferocious they are as players and, you know, their, their outlandish personalities, you know, that sort of the color and the lighting really helps to to dictate or, or, or support that, you know, even before, even before you it's, put it's, the it's record rare. on. Yeah. It's rare to have a band with that much personality. A lot of bands, they have like the singer, maybe the, the go-to person, you know, for the charisma and all that. That's a band where every one of those guys could be the front person and, and have the charisma to, to run a show. And David Lee Roth, probably uh, a lot of people agree. And I may feel that way as well. I think probably the greatest front man from that, you know, late seventies, eighties era. I mean, the guy truly was a great front man. Uh, he could sing, he could perform. His interviews were always, uh, you know, just so, uh, you know, funny yeah. and, charming and he was just a great personality like you, if you if you see an interview with david lee roth and don't smile then you're having a bad day because the guy is just charming yeah, as anything yeah. you know and i think another area that people have to think about when they think of van halen and van halen one or the backing vocals you know if you listen to that wall of harmony vocals that they do throughout their albums especially van halen one you know, with, with all their singing, especially Michael Anthony's great voice. I mean, that's a big part of their signature sound, not just the guitar playing. It's the incredible vocals. And, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast that, you know, maybe never heard that album, you know, go online, check it out, you know, go to iTunes or somewhere 
it's just an amazing album and, and Eddie's rhythm guitar yeah. playing. Of course, the lead work is what, you know, he's most known for and should be, but his rhythm guitar playing is incredible on that album. Uh, just go listen to it. Do yourself a favor. If this is maybe not from your generation or you just missed the boat on that one for any reason, check it out. It really is a great, great legendary album and there's not a bad track on it. Every song on there is, is outstanding. Gene, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today about Van Halen one. You know, I, I'm so glad that I had a chance to learn more about the band as a whole. I, I really had no idea of the contributions that Eddie Van Halen, you know, did with, with other folks, you know, in other bands in the music industry. And, you know, just thank you very much for coming on the program and, and sharing this record that continues to resonate with you and in such a profound way. It's really been great chatting with you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you know having this opportunity to talk about an album that had a huge effect on my life and my career choice, and I know it did for a lot of people. And there's other people out there who maybe they didn't choose music as a career, but it's still an album that means a lot in their life, where they listen to these tracks and they remember back to where they were at that day, and it might have been a great time in their life, and uh, that's something that music could do. It could really transport you back to another time and place and bring back old memories and good memories, and uh, I think the concept of what you're doing with this podcast is brilliant. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy hearing each episode to see what, you know, what album your guest is going to talk about. And I know I'm going to be tuning in as well. All right. Thanks so much to Gene Foley for being on with us today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Take a moment to tell a friend or family about our show. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. If you like the program, give us a rating so we can appear higher in podcast search results. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Alexandria, Virginia. And we hope you discovered some new music today, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover. <laughs>